So this morning, I really feel like William Wallace addressing his troops just before they entered the battle with Longshanks. What a wonderful morning. Well done, worship team. It was it's such a wonderful um, foundation to launch from. Uh, it was, the words were brilliant. The songs were brilliant. And, uh, and the Spirit is here. Two o'clock this morning, I was lying awake. And at the time, I was thinking, I'm not so sure that the, I think this is a pretty average word that I'm bringing this morning. But it was just like this morning when I woke up, I just, I just know we're going to have a good time this morning. We, we're going to have fun this morning, and I think it's a good morning to pick a fight. So I, I've been on a little bit of a journey. Um, I think about uh, two months ago, uh, I started feeling quite dissatisfied with my Christian walk. And I just felt like there was more, you know. I just felt like days were just ticking over. It was just another day, and there was nothing new. It was just going through the motions. And uh, I enrolled for the Firestarters course. I don't know if you guys know about the Firestarters course. We're starting to talk about it in this church a lot more. Um, but the Firestarters course is a, is a course really to give you tools, um, just little handles, and also to get you into a space where you understand that you are powerful. And I think it's one of the biggest lies that the enemy has sold the church is that we are not powerful, is that we, that we, have, we don't really have a voice. In society, we don't have a voice. Um, uh, in politics, we don't have a voice anywhere. And that we should just be quiet little Christians on a Sunday morning, enjoy the presence here, but when we go out there, we are toothless. And that's a lie from the devil. And so I've been on a journey. And one of the things that they asked um, right at the beginning of the Firestarters course, they asked so what is your reason for doing this Firestarters course? And my reason at the time, if I was totally honest, was that I wanted to become dangerous again. I almost felt like I was this beautiful lion in a circus cage. You know, I, I looked the part, but I didn't have the, the raw. I didn't have the intimidation factor. I didn't have a lot of those things. And, and so I've been on a journey just for the Lord to get me to a place again where 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 I feel like I am, I carry the presence. Yes, I've always known that I carry the presence. But there's a difference between knowing it and actually, you know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. And sometimes we actually need to take those steps in order to bring the kingdom in a specific situation. And we can bring that wherever we are. And then uh, my journey continued uh, listening to David Hogan last weekend. Uh, you know, if you went there to go and listen to a wonderful teacher, um, you would have been disappointed. He's not, a, he's not a good teacher. But what he is, he's a very simple man that carries the presence of God, and he understands that he's dangerous. He understands that he has the ability through God to change circumstances and atmospheres and to bring the power of God. Not just the words, but the power of God. And so... You know, going through this process, there's been this increasing hunger inside of me. There's always been a hunger inside of me to see the kingdom break out, to see miracles. My greatest desire is to see us and me living on the pages of the Bible where, where we see God do the absolute incredible. And so this morning, I want to talk about taking territory. I want to talk about being front-footed. And the, the words that we had this morning are just, were just so, so perfect. He is the God that can do incredible things if we allow Him to. He is the God that can take bones and make armies. He can make rivers in the desert. 
He is the God of the impossible, and that is the unfair advantage that Lynn was talking about that we have, because we have all of the world around us. This morning when we were worshiping, I had a picture of um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12. Now that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the stands are packed around us. And the, all these heroes of faith that have gone before us are saying, go, 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 Ryan, go, Phil, go, Rebecca. The, those, those guys are all cheering us on. And more than that, the Trinity is standing and saying, come on, go, go, go. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. And he's saying, go, go, go. So the last time I spoke, I referenced um, Israel and just the journey that Israel had out of captivity in Egypt, the wilderness, and then into their promised land. And, and I made some references that I believe we could apply to our lives and the journey that we have with, um, with the Father. But I think there's so much more in there. We can almost spend weeks just going through just the processes that God took those people through. And obviously Egypt is, is, a, is a picture of, of the world. When we were in the world, we had no grid for God. We were messed up. We were carrying baggage. And we were resentful maybe. Uh, but we were not whole. And then God takes, Egypt, takes Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And now a, a period of restoration, a period of weaning them off the Egyptian economy, off the leeks and the onions that they had gotten used to, is, is taking place, where he's now weaning them off all of that stuff and, and almost um, grafting them into heaven's economy, heaven's kingdom. But it's a period of time that it's, it's slowly but surely, and then we see them move into the promised land where they've learned the things of the wilderness, they've learned to become dependent on God, and now they are given territories, they're given kingdoms, they're given lands, they're given peoples. And so I think that there's so much in there for us. And, and I don't think that God has finished uh, with a story with us. So, so I'm going to make a couple of, um, I'm just going to draw a couple of things out of these stories. And the first thing that I want to do is, is that the wilderness is a place of training. It's a place where, where God just gives them enough, just enough for that day. They're not allowed to take anything for the next day because the next day they need to be dependent on God again. And then they finally get the, the, the training is done and they enter into the promised land and now they apply that dependence that they have learned in the wilderness on God. In the wilderness, they question God. As soon as something went wrong, they would, they would, they would say, but, and they would, they, wouldn't often, they would often not do it directly with God, but they would do it with his God-appointed anointed servant. And they would undermine Moses and they would say, but Moses... Surely there are, there are better graves in, in Egypt for us. We should have rather died there. Did God really bring us out here to come and die here? And we see that they're almost like a yo-yo. You know, they have these experiences with God where they come through the Red Sea and suddenly they're on top of the mountain. And shortly after that, they run out of water. And now suddenly God's not good anymore. Now Moses is not good anymore. And so there's this constant sort of undermining. But when we go into the promised land and we look at Israel in the promised land, Israel in the promised land has undergone, undergone some sort of transformation because now they are solidly behind Joshua. They are solidly behind God. There, there are times when they say, tell us what we must do. And they actually detail curses and blessings and say, yes, we're happy to abide by those things. Now, if they were in the wilderness, let me tell you, that would not have been a good contract to sign. And so, so there's, this, there's this undermining um, 
in the, in the wilderness. And I heard somebody say once, he said, one of the ways that you can, you can gauge Christian spiritual maturity is if they no longer question God. Because, you know, the Bible says a kingdom divided will not stand. And if I'm a Christian here and I'm doubting the goodness of God, as soon as something goes wrong, I'm questioning him, I'm fighting a battle on two fronts. I'm fighting the enemy and I'm fighting the circumstances and I'm also fighting God. So I'm now fighting with everybody and I don't really have a place to push off or from because I'm not 100% sure about God. I'm not 100% sure that he is good, that he is able and that his intentions are good towards me. Also, the other thing in the wilderness is that Israel served God very, they were, they were, it was almost a very conditional thing. It was, it was quite fickle. As I said earlier, it was these highs and these lows. And when God does good, then God was good. When, when God didn't come through in the way that they wanted him to come through, then he wasn't so good anymore. Then it was, it was just this up and down. But that seems to have been settled. As I said, you know, it's almost like Israel, when they entered in the promised land, they had become, they'd become mature. They had settled, they'd closed the door on the fact that God was good, that God was for them. There was no more doubt in them. And th- that's the other thing is in the, in, the, in the wilderness, Israel was fearful, they were weak, and they were faithless. It, it, was, it was almost like they couldn't really carry through the miracles that God had done before into the next time of crisis. They couldn't carry that through because it was almost like, and I think to be fair, the Israelites had spent 400 years in Egypt. Not all of that were as slaves, because initially Joseph came there and he was given the best lands in Goshen. But at least for a couple of hundred years, the Israelites were oppressed. And during that time, the oppression must have built or established a stronghold of them being a victim, that they are forsaken, that they, the promises that were given to Abraham are not for us. Um, they may be for a future generation, but I can't, I can't lay a hold of those things for myself. And so this is the very thing that God had to work out is this victim mentality and almost getting them to a place where they enter the promised land and now they are confident sons and daughters standing broad-chested knowing that God is able to do everything that he has said but not prescribing to God how he must. And I think the, one of my favorite scriptures is Joshua chapter 1. It's been given to me so many times to myself and Shaney. It's been an incredible source of inspiration and just, just strength, you know, just the Holy Spirit just speaking in this Joshua chapter 1 over us. I mean, it's been random sometimes, you know, where people that don't know us would bring us this thing. And I think in Joshua chapter 1, the evidence that the victim mentality has been left behind and these broad-chested sons and daughters are standing is no more evident because in uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, Uh, Moses says to, he charges Joshua and he says, only be strong and very courageous. And he says some other things as well about this, this word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth. You will meditate and so shall have good success. But then the very people that in the wilderness almost stoned Joshua and Caleb because when they came back from the promised land, Joshua and Caleb had a good report, but the 10 spies didn't. And the people believed the 10 spies because they were still stuck in this victim mentality and they wanted to stone Joshua. 
But now, in the promised land, they say the very same things to Joshua. They say, only be strong and very courageous. And you know, that, that be strong and very courageous, has, it had become a war cry subsequent to that within Israel. It was, a, it was something that David spoke over Solomon. It's something that they would speak over their sons. It was something that they, they would speak over each other before they went into, into war. And so the Hebrew phrase there is rock, chazak, amatz. So I hope I got that right, but we've got no Hebrew scholars here this morning. But, so if you break that word up, the word strong is the word um, chazak. And that word literally means to stiffen up. To just, it's almost like before you enter into battle, I, I, I used the picture of William Wallace earlier. And that one scene before they go into battle, he gives a stirring speech. And you can just see that those Scotsmen are now ready for whatever comes. They're ready for it. Every muscle is tensed. Every sinew is ready. And they are focused on what is coming at, coming at them. And so that's what the word chazak means. is to stiffen, to strengthen, to encourage, and to make yourself ready for whatever is coming. The second part of that word is the word amatz. And I hope I get this right. The word amatz means to jump headlong, uh, the heavenly audacity to jump headlong into an impossible situation without consideration for the consequences. It's almost like I don't care because I know who's on my side and I know I'm going through that door. I'm, I'm, we are going through that. I don't care how, but it's going to happen. And so this had become like a war cry in Israel where they would, this is, they would, they would, when they would sing this war cry, it would take them back to the promised land when, when Jericho fell, when the impossible happened. They didn't even lift a finger for that wall to implode. It just came down and it exploded. And so this is, this is the transformation that had taken place um, in, in Israel. I listened to a, a preach by Chris Vallotton recently and he said that we were made for a fight. That is an audacious statement, uh, if ever I heard it, but we are made for a fight. Because if you look at, say, for instance, the life of David, David was a little, menial little shepherd boy on the shepherd field. And his father says to him, I want you to take some food to your brothers at the front line of the battle. His brothers, on the other hand, have been sitting under the abuse and the intimidation of this Philistine giant called Goliath. And they've just been soaking it up. Yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe we are meant to be their slaves. Maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe our God doesn't really care. Maybe our God isn't able. And so little David goes up. And it's, I think there's a separate sermon here just on serving. Because by serving, his destiny is revealed. By him taking food to the front line, he suddenly encounters his destiny. And he listens to his brothers speak that, the king is happy to give his daughter a whole lot of money, tax breaks, company car, a whole lot of things to whoever defeats this giant. And being a typical Jewish boy, he says, sorry, say that again. <laughs> and he goes and he gets confirmation because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is whatever. And so it was so. But look at David, little 16-year-old David with the stones and the little sling that he has. He runs at Goliath. He doesn't wait for Goliath to come to him. He runs at Goliath. And for me, that's bigger mutts. That's He's running at the giant. He's not waiting for it to happen. He's going at it. And I think this is what the Lord is calling us to be, is to be dangerous, is to be, to have a mutts, 
and just go. And wherever we are, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, you know, in the South African context, we, we said goodbye to, to my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. They immigrated to, to, uh, to America to, or Texas. And I think in the South African context, if the Lord has called you elsewhere, go with the greatest blessing. But if he hasn't, I want to encourage you, let's stand and fight. Let's stand and fight for this country. Let's stand and fight for the inheritance for our children. You know, we can, go to, we can send our girls to school, and I'm fortunate because we homeschool, but we can send our, our, our kids to school and encounter a woke agenda or an LGBTQ thing. And we know we can, we can take our kids out of that and move to another school. But, you know, sooner or later, sooner or, uh, sooner or later we're going to run out of schools that don't have this agenda, that don't have this thing. We need to stand and make a fist of it. We need to stand sickness. You know, Shani, Shani's got this, this thing in her back. It's like a, a nerve thing that's debilitating. She loves, she loves running. She loves playing squash. And off the record, she's a little bit grumpy when she doesn't do all of those things. <laughs> but we've been to... <laughs> 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 but you know the thing is we can tolerate this we can tolerate the enemy setting up a, a tent right on my doorstep or we can go after this thing and we are going after this thing you might have sickness in your life today we can tolerate that we can tolerate his little tent the Remax tent selling, giving us little brochures and things but that thing is a lie you know we've been to, we've been to, uh, to um, physios but it's, it's not changing. So, so, and we should have fought from the beginning, and we should also, I don't want to get into this. <laughs> I'm, I'm running in a, in a cul-de-sac, but, you know, we, we should draw a line and say, this far and no further. I, I'm not going to accept this anymore. And that's when you're going to start seeing the power of God released, because, you know, the most dangerous man is a dead man. The first dead man was Jesus. He walks through walls. You can't do anything to him. We've all been crucified with Jesus. We've been dead and buried with him. And if we are dead in him, we are very dangerous. Because you know why? You can't hurt him. There's nothing that you can do. You've settled in your heart that God is good and I'm nailing my colors to this mast. You know, we often say, we know the scriptures. And, and please, I'm not trying to bring a heavy. I'm not trying to bring a heavy. I'm just trying to bring an encouragement. But we know the scriptures that he's given us all things, through li- that, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that we're overcomers in Jesus. We know, we know those verses. But faith without works is dead. We've got to start walking on the water. We've got to get out of the boat. You think about Peter. God called him out. You know, he could have said, I, yes, I believe I can. But until he did, he didn't. And now he's one of two people that I know of that have walked on water in all of history. That's a privilege. That's amazing. So just back to fire starters, I'd really like to encourage you guys whenever you have the opportunity to go and do fire starters. I, I think it's a phenomenal course. It just gives you little handles um, how to just go and prophesy over anybody, how to pray for healing over everybody, anybody. I mean, I think we know that, but we don't often do that as much as we should. And so, you know, I don't get out very often. I, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and uh, I, when I do get out, um, I, I do the shopping. Shani hates shopping. You have to, if she needs to go and do the shopping, she kicks and screams and whatever. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, been said, I've been saying a couple of 
not such good things about my wife. She's a wonderful woman. And I'm really happy I married her. <laughs> She's a blessing from God in, a, in ways that I never imagined. So, <laughs> but, um, so when I get out, uh, I go to Carreras. I go to the Pick and Pay at Victory Park. And I, I love using the opportunity to just do this to people's hair, you know, but to bring the kingdom, you know. So, so I, would, I, would, I would speak to people, and I, I, the guy would say, you know, this is my name, and I would prophesy over him. Whatever I get in my mind, I just go and prophesy, and I could see there's an impact when I leave them. I can see, even this morning at the spa, when I was buying milk for this morning, I spoke to the lady, and she said, her name is Lungile, and, and, she said, and I said, what does that mean? She said, it means, okay. I said, but God says, you're not just okay, you're a princess. And it's just little things that we can start igniting in people's hearts. We can just start dropping things that they start, ooh, but maybe there's more. Maybe it's not just okay. Maybe there's more for me, you know. And that's, that's the thing that I really loved about Firestarters because it gets me on the front foot. And now I'm not just impactful on a Sunday service because he didn't come for the, for the, for the healed. He came for the sick. He came for those outside there. And so last Sunday, we celebrated Dom and Machritz, um, their, their marriage. Wonderful, wonderful story of years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, the lights are on, and boom. I think after a while, I think God was even, even concerned about Dom, but Dom finally got there. So, <laughs> But all of a sudden, it happened. And in the beginning of the year, we really felt that this was a year of marriage. It's one of the things that we felt for this year. And right at the beginning, we actually were still on holiday, end of last year, and Nicolene and Mirko wanted to get married like in three weeks. Like, boom, you know. We managed to drag it out to like six weeks, and they're married now. <laughs> but I really believe that we're in a time of acceleration. Um, Chris Vallotton talks about an epoch moment where something that would take 10 or 20 years or five years or one year would suddenly be done like this. And I think there are a number of testimonies other than those two testimonies in this, in this, uh, of people in this morning. I mean, Lynn and Bongani. You, uh, Lynn was, 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 and it's better that you hear the testimony from them. I'm probably going to butcher it. But they were struggling for a long time, and all of a sudden the floodgates opened. This year, like about a month or two months ago, something like that, like recently, and it opened properly. Elaine, I don't know if you know... Um, for those of you who know Elaine, she, she's a, a book writer, and she'd been struggling for many, many years. And after me speaking on Sunday morning just about this, that we are now in a season of suddenly. We're not waiting to get We are in a season of suddenly. She came to me after. She said to me, you know, you know, I've been struggling for many years. I just got a contract that's not even related to a book. It's copywriting, and I'm, I'm going to make more money in two months than I made in a year. Now, it's not just about money. Um, you know, at being, at being the season uh, for, for marriages, I think there are many applications. I think there are a lot of people here that have been sitting on an egg for a long time and waiting for that egg to hatch. I mean, I think of you, Phil. I think of you, Gina. I think of a lot of people here that you've been, you've been holding and holding and holding. But I feel like we are entering into a season of suddenness. And we need to start preparing ourselves for the Lord to do things suddenly. We need to get onto the front foot. Because if we're on the back foot, we're going to miss it. So, one of the things that, um, that I think one of the biggest contrasts 
in the wilderness and the, and the promised land is in the wilderness, the Lord is really trying to establish, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. But then the next phase is, can he trust us? Can he that? Because if he can trust us, that means that we've locked the door. We have settled it in our hearts. We are nailing our colors to this mast. That, and, and, and that's one of the things that David Hogan brought out. You know, David Hogan, he doesn't pretend to be uh, the most eloquent speaker. He doesn't reference the Greek and he doesn't do any of that stuff. But he has settled in his heart. That God is good. He is in a situation where he's surrounded by, he falls asleep under a tree. Um, I think it was in Mexico. I'm not sure it was in Mexico or Africa. But in any case, he's in some place that's not very safe. Where? Mexico. And uh, he wakes up and there's about 100 people with machetes and things around him that want to kill him. And he, he's, he's like, well, I'm probably going to die. And the one guy hits him and he spits in his face. I mean, if there's 100 people, they don't do that. But he does. And... The next thing, these guys turn on each other because he knows that what can they do? They can kill me. If they kill me, then I go to be with Jesus, you know. He's, he's settled it to such an extent that he doesn't feel like he's got anything to lose. And I think sometimes we, we get to a place where we feel we've got so much to lose and so we've actually got to entertain this thing, you know. And I, then I looked, I looked in the Bible. Um, I looked in the Bible and I tried to find a, a reference where... Where, where, where somebody had just gotten to the place where they'd settled it in their hearts and you can do what you want to. And this is out of uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. So bear with me. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, will not, that you will, do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe and lyre, and all the others, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And, if he, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a wonderful picture of do what you need to. Don't threaten me. Go ahead. Make my day. Such a beautiful picture of amats. Like just, okay, go. I don't care. So what does it look like when we have, have settled this thing in our hearts? It looks like the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. It looks like that. It looks like the external now no longer has any impact me. And in the middle of the situation, I can praise like a Paul and Silas. They were praising not because they wanted the doors to fly open. They were praising because their hearts were full and they believed in a God that could do the impossible. And the doors flew open as a consequence. But they didn't know that was going to happen. Scripture is so full and it's so filled of, of people that have come to that place where they don't care. And that's when you become dangerous. That's when things start happening. And I believe that this morning it's a call for us to, 
to just almost settle ourselves. Almost, I feel it's almost like a fresh commissioning this morning that we are dangerous. We are everything that the Bible says. We can take those things for ourselves, and we are not just dangerous on a Sunday morning, but we are dangerous on a daily basis wherever we are. And I'd like to end off with um, Psalm 91 verse 14. And this is, it's a well-known psalm. It's the protection psalm. We have lots of people with bumper stickers on it, um, quoting Psalm 91. But I want to read from, from verse 14. And, it, and this is the Lord speaking. And he says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Isn't that like a picture of, we have, we, he now can trust us. He now, we will do what he says. In the moment, and now he can start building. He can start building. Because our faith is like a muscle. The first time, it's like walking up to somebody and saying, Jesus loves you. There's not a lot of risk in that, but it, you can be rejected, I suppose. But when you start speaking over people and you start speaking about, you know, I saw you when you were in a tree at 4 o'clock this morning or whatever, that's a little bit more edgy. And, um, <laughs> and the Lord is calling us to be edgy. The Lord is calling us to, to use the full access of heaven, not just the front door, the whole thing. And so he says here, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name. He has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness. He trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. I will never forsake him. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that's the promise of God to us. That no matter what we go through, no matter what situation we face, He promises if we will trust Him, if, 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 and if He can trust us, then we will see the miraculous. We will see Him stand up for us. We will see Him do what we cannot do. And so can I ask that we stand this morning? It's just been such a beautiful morning with the worship. It's been such a stirring, like a stirring to war this morning. And so, Father, we, we come before you, Lord, and we settle in our hearts that you are good once and for all, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will, that you will brand this in on our heart, that you will write this in on our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, that whenever we doubt, we look at the mark. That whenever we are in a place, Father, where we are fearful, Lord God, that we will know that you are with us, Father God. That, Lord, that we would make ourselves available, Father God, to be the mobilized army on the streets, Lord God. We will make ourselves available, Lord God, to speak life into circumstances, into people, Lord God, that we would make ourselves available to pray for healing, Lord God, and Lord, that we would, we would not tolerate the enemy on our doorstep, Lord, that we would not tolerate, Father God, the enemy in this country setting up his camp, Lord God, and saying that this, this, this country belongs to him, Lord. We do not accept that, Father, and we pray, Lord, that you would rise up in us a righteous indignation, Father God, for his strategies, Lord God, that we would identify them from far off, Lord God. And Lord, like David, we would run at him, Lord God, and we would take him on head on, Lord. We would not tolerate it. We would not be comfortable, Lord God. But Lord, like a Nehemiah, Father God, we would see the destruction of Jerusalem, Lord God, and we would be moved in our hearts, Lord, that we would want to rebuild, Lord God, and we would stand up in the face of the enemy, Lord God, and encourage our brothers and sisters, Lord. 
And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that this morning you would do something significant in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would come and settle in our hearts, Lord, that this thing would be done, Lord God, and that we would be front-footed, Lord, and that we would start taking territory, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for the, that we are in the season of suddenlies, Lord God, and that things start breaking open now. Things that took a long time, that were difficult, Lord, but sovereignly you would start breaking things open, Lord God. Lord, like a popcorn machine, Lord God, that suddenly the one would go, the next would go, the next would go, Father. And so, Father, we thank you that we are yours. We thank you that we are no longer slaves, Lord. But we have been set free. We've been co-crucified with Jesus, and now we are dead and dangerous, Lord. We ask us all in Jesus' name, Lord. And we thank you, Father God, for the endless possibilities of our future. In Jesus' name, amen.